Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. And I'm Paul Bestall. This is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 169, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. My friend, how you doing? I'm very well now. I'm back home in Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were uh, house-sitting for several weeks. Uh, three weeks and three days, not that I was counting. Oh, man. That's, uh, that's a long time for Superman to be away from the uh, warming rays of the sun. It was, yeah. <laughs> I no longer have to go to the spa for human contact. I can, uh, I can It's I, that isolated, eh? Well, it was just, there was, you know, my mum lives on a, an estate. You know, I don't know many people around there anymore, and, and it's just lots of old people, so... Oof, man, that sounds like my nightmare. That's not actually, that kind of sounds like how, where I live in Victoria. So that uh, explains a few things. <laughs> so, yes, it's nice to be back. So we've been out long walks and stuff and uh, bumping into our, some of our, our doggy friends as we've mooched around on our return. It has a high strangeness associated with your mother's place. That's all kind of backed off now? Yeah, I mean, up until the, the last day, there were still weird bangs and knocks. The chain noise came back again. Oh. Um, on Monday night, I think that was. I heard that. We were all sat in the front room on the telly, just watch, just relaxing with a bit of uh, Josh Gates and Expedition X. And uh, obviously the house decided to give us some sort of uh, ambient accompaniment. <laughs> Not satisfied with paranormal things on television. It thought, well, we're going to we're going to make this surround sound. <laughs> So yes, so in between um, dealing with all that and uh, catching up with all the modern paranormal shows and deciding that I didn't really like most of them, uh, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's nice to be back home in Sheffield. How about you? Funny you ask. <laughs> Things have been weird here over the last week. So the first thing I'm, I'm going to share with you is something that uh, is paranormal. Uh, I, I, okay, that's not true. The first thing I'm going to share with you is something that is strange. We'll just say that. It is strange. I, I'm not going to pretend that I know for sure it is something that falls within the purview of, of what we talk about here. But the other day, I was in the kitchen. I was making dinner. And all of a sudden, I hear Nikki call my name. And I, and I, I knew she was in the bathroom. So I'm, I started heading towards the hallway when she just rushes out towards me. Nikki is a very stable, unflappable person. She's English. So she is not prone to getting worked up about things. And she was worked up. And so I said, what's, what's going on? She was on the toilet when she heard what sounded like a raccoon in the tub next to her. At first she thought, oh, that must be Bodhi, you know, one of our cats, because he's quite a big cat. But then she realized, no, he was in the bedroom when I closed the door. And it's, it was too big to be our other cat, Chewy. Chewy is uh, very, very sl slender now. She's quite, quite old. But it was quite clearly in the tub. It wasn't upstairs. It wasn't next door. It was in the tub. And so she thought, Jesus, did a raccoon get in here somehow while I was in the bathroom? <laughs> and our apartment's not big enough that this should be possible, Paul. <laughs> so she, she just got up, closed the door, came to get me, and we went and looked. Nothing there. 
and there's absolutely no way that anything the size that she was describing could have gotten out before we got there, because again, she closed the door immediately after she left. So it just was like there was something large, like an animal, like a, like a, a medium-sized animal, like a raccoon's a fair size, uh, in the tub, and just moving around, clicking around, thumping around, and then it was gone. Uh, weird. It was bizarre. And then later that night, uh, or later that afternoon, I guess, we had finished dinner. We were hanging out on the couch, just chatting, watching some television. When I heard outside, well, I assume it was outside. It was the strangest thing. Have you ever, I'm sure you have, when wind gets so powerful, it sounds like it's whipping? Mm. Yes. That's what it sounded like. It sounded like desert wind whipping, like whipping really powerfully. But, I, and I, I sat up right away and I looked outside. There was no wind, but it was unmistakable. Although Nikki didn't hear it. I mm. heard it. But it, that, that it came on the same day as this other thing seemed, it seemed odd. Again, I don't know that it means anything, but it, it was strange. Mm. But that's not the strangest thing that happened. And the, and the other thing that happened, Paul, it was less, this was more human-based. This, mm. was, this was, Bren has a bad day. This was like when I was in LA and those dudes started uh, high-beaming my minivan on the middle of that deserted <laughs> highway at night. Yeah, this was along those lines. So uh, as you know, I, I, after recording quite often, I try and go see a movie. So we'll record, and then that evening I'll try to catch a preview screening of whatever happens to be coming out the following day. Last week, I went to go see The Last Voyage of the Demeter that night, which is quite good. So folks, see it while it's still in theaters. It's, it's way better than reviews suggest. My intention was to walk home. I'd walk downtown. I was going to walk home. It was a nice night. It's about a 20-minute walk. It's, you know, nothing crazy. As the movie was winding up, I began to think about going home, and I had this weird certainty that I needed to not walk. And I don't know why. I don't mm. know why. I just became convinced, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a, a car share car, you know, because I belong to this collective and you just, yeah, there's an app, you see what's available, you go grab a car. There was nothing available anywhere downtown. So as I'm walking towards the front of the cinema, it's about quarter past midnight at this point, And I thought, nah, maybe I'll just walk. It's such a nice night. And again, this, this voice chimed into my head, no, no. You're not doing that. And it was like, it was like I was in a video game, dude, where you know how, uh, you have to fast travel from one place. Like there's no way to <laughs> actually walk from one location to the other. You have to fast travel. It felt like that. Yes. And again, not, you know, I walk everywhere. Uh, but I had this unshakable feeling like, no, you're not walking tonight. So I called an Uber and as I was waiting outside the cinema for my Uber, this green van started to get closer to me. I was sort of about five, maybe five feet away from the curb. In the front of the green van were two young guys, maybe early to mid-twenties. One was blonde, the passenger was blonde, the driver was brunette. And I heard the passenger say, there, there. And so this van pulled up parallel to me where I was standing on the curb. Maybe about, they were themselves about five feet away from the curb. There's sort of a pull in there, so you're not blocking traffic. The passenger looks at me, and he starts talking to me. Now, I wasn't paying attention originally. I was reading an article on my phone. Mm. So he, he's clearly talking to me. I thought he was asking for directions. So I put my phone away and I looked at him. And I noticed that the, all the rear windows of the van were tinted. So I, I couldn't see the back of the van. Mm -hmm. But in the front, there was these two young guys. And the blonde guy, the passenger, he starts saying to me, hey, hey, do you know? And he, he says these two names. And I don't know exactly what it was. It sounded like Bert and Dirt. But he was saying it really quickly. Hey, do you know Burton Dirt? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry? And he says it again, well, you know, do you know Burton Dirt? 
I said, man, I, I don't know. I'm like, is that a place? I don't know, man. He's like, no, come on, you know, Burton Dirt. And he starts doing this flipping motion with his hands. He goes, you know, they flip the system. Burton Dirt, you know. And I couldn't understand what he was saying. I had no fucking idea what he was getting at. And of course, part of me thought, oh, maybe this is some kind of like, I always blame TikTok. It's some sort of TikTok prank. And, and I genuinely just couldn't hear what they were saying. It didn't help, too. They had music playing in the van. Not loud enough to attract attention, but loud enough that it kind of made hearing what he was saying just that much harder. And I was baffled by what the fuck he was asking of me. And then the, pass, the driver leans forward, and he starts saying something to me. And I don't remember what he was saying. But he's, they're both doing that thing where they're trying to make you comfortable. You know, like, oh, you know, you know, in very, being very friendly, very like, you know, what, you know, this person or this thing. I said, guys, I, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And then the driver stopped talking. He settled back in and the passenger just looked at me and it was like he started from the beginning. It was like he had a script. He was a video game character and he just went right, you know, Burton Dirt, you know, Burton Dirt, you know, and, and again, at this point I thought, okay, these guys are fucking with me. This is some kind of gag or something. Fine, whatever. I'm not doing it. So I just said, move on, guys. Move on. And I pulled my phone back out. And I made a point of just ignoring them and looking at my phone. And this guy kept repeating this at me. Hey, do you know Burton Dirt? Hey, do you know Burton Dirt? For about three minutes, as I just looked at my phone and very clearly made a point, I'm, I'm not interacting with you further. But I, I'll be honest, at this point, something was kind of tripping in my head. And so I was listening for the door opening because yeah. I thought, okay, this, this is, uh, they're fucking with me. And maybe, again, maybe it's a prank, maybe it's innocent, but maybe they're not going to be happy that I'm not playing ball. Uh, either way, I kept looking at my phone and I should add that when I looked away, I heard the driver say something and the passenger then said, no, no. And then he kept repeating this at me. And finally I heard the passenger say, okay, go. And they drove off. And as he was driving off, the passenger said something to me, but I couldn't make it out. But it was in that same friendly, but not really friendly way where it was, again, it was meant, it was meant to appear very light, but you got the impression there was more behind it. Mm. And that was it. They drove off. My Uber turned up a second later. I got in, went home, but it was just, I don't know. It, it unsettled me. And the, the, the longer I drove home in the Uber, the more I, I thought, you know, I wonder if that was why I had this feeling like I shouldn't walk home because let's face it, I stick out a little bit right? Especially now that I shave my head, you know? So like, I, yeah, I'm not hard to spot on a street if you're looking. And I wonder if maybe that was some kind of clue that I was, this would not have been the end of my interaction with these guys. Because as I've described to you, and I don't know if I've mentioned on this show before, but like, I've had some issues here at night since I've been back. You know, mm -hmm. I've had, uh, I almost got the shit kicked out of me in a convenience store mm -hmm. a little while ago because this homeless guy thought I was, he bumped into me and I don't know what, but he lost his mind and he was a big guy. So I, I've kind of had to really kind of watch myself in the evenings here anyways, in a way that I, I hadn't before. And so I, I sent a text to a friend of mine who I always share this weird shit with, and they would have, you know, they don't live on the same time zone, so they were asleep. But when I woke up to their message to me the following morning, they said, it's kind of funny you say this because I had nightmares about two guys following you in Victoria at night. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Again, it could have been totally harmless. It probably was, but it felt weird. So it was a very strange experience, Paul. Mm. Peculiar, peculiar. I'm always wary of any people trying to strike conversations up in a, uh, in a van with blacked out windows because I've watched too many documentaries about serial killers. Well, I mean, and I have far too much of an interest in these uh, drowned men 
to uh, <laughs> to get too close to a van with blacked out windows. It's the, it's the return of Gary Ridgeway. Yep. I don't know, man. Very, very weird. Well, maybe and they, they knew you'd been to the screening and thought that you were, you were good prey. There we go. This guy just saw a Dracula movie. He'll appreciate the irony when we suck his blood. Let's... <laughs> He looks like someone who's got a keen appreciation of this sort of humor. <laughs> they're draining my blood. I'm like, well, guys, this is pretty good. I mean, in all fairness, right? You know, well, good show. Good show. Fangs for the lift. <laughs> well, on that wonderful note, folks, we have a great show lined up for you. We have some really cool listener stories some truly bizarre stuff, which has kind of become a theme lately, and I'm really loving, because it just kind of challenges our notions of what these things are. Some of the stories were uh, sent in inspired by our most recent episode, The Haunting of Iowa. Some were just sent in. Uh, there's one particular one that really kind of harkens back to uh, a phenomenon that's turned up a couple times on the show and might actually end up being its own show, because I, I did a little, a little checking, and there are a lot of spottings of this particular phenomenon, so I'm looking forward to sharing this. But before we do that, we got to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Renfield to our Dracula in that we get all the credit, but you're the ones who do all the hard work. <laughs> for real, guys, we could not do this without our patrons. And while we'd like to thank all our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers, we would especially like to thank our latest ones. They are June Cook, Mandy Pyle, Nate Ruff, Denise Masson, Jessica Baker, Julia M, Stephanie Petzing, and Grace. For real, guys, thank you so, so, so much for everything you've done for us. We have seen real growth in our Apple Podcast subscribers. We are so very excited about that. And it was just announced recently that Patreon will be making uh, their bonus content accessible in Spotify now. So if you are a patron, and you hate Patreon's app, which you should because it's garbage, <laughs> you will be able to listen to your bonus content now in Spotify. Uh, so I've just made us eligible for that. So uh, keep an eye out. Again, if you're a patron already, go check the uh, go check your account. You'll be able to see how to access this. It's going to really change things because again, Patreon's app is goddamn garbage. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's Patreon dot com slash ghost story guys or sign up to gsg premium via apple podcasts and you will get access to all kinds of cool stuff and we'll tell you about that at the end of the show but the big thing is you get ad free episodes and while the ads that paul and i record are you know hilarious naturally <laughs> the auto ads are garbage we don't like them and if we didn't need to have them we wouldn't so head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys or sign up for gsg premium at apple podcasts so you don't have to listen to them either shout out to our composer jerry smith Jerry Smith is a musician and film journalist from Central California, and his new project, Street Witch, is on streaming platforms everywhere. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with the stories. Objects in the Museum, from Catherine. I have master's degrees in history and archaeology and have worked on archaeological sites and in various museum collections. 
As an historian and archaeologist, I am trained to look at evidentiary facts, especially as it can be anything from irresponsible to downright dangerous to shoehorn history into supporting one's own beliefs and agendas. So, technically, ghosts and spirits are a bit outside the wheelhouse, as we have no concrete, measurable proof of their existence. But that hasn't stopped some weird shit from happening. My two oddest stories happened while I was working in the ethnographic collection at the History Colorado Museum. We were packing up the entire collection to be moved into storage, as the current museum was being bulldozed and the construction on the new museum hadn't yet started. I supervised the ethnographic collection's packing and storage for the upcoming move. An ethno-collection consists of items from indigenous peoples from the more recent past. I had employees and volunteers that I managed, but I also did some of the artifact packing, especially for rare or sensitive objects. That night it was relatively quiet. We worked various shifts so that the cramped collection areas wouldn't be so crowded. The ethno staff worked second shift, and there were only two of us still working that evening, me and another co-worker. I was working on packing a large piece of pottery and needed some foam cut. I asked the other member of staff to cut the foam I needed and to go ahead and cut enough foam for tomorrow as well. The foam cutting area was located on the other side of the large building, so she left and I continued working with my head down, concentrating on the precise foam mount with which I was struggling. A few minutes later I saw a shadow in front of me, so I asked what she needed. There was no response, so I glanced up, but nobody was there. Our packing area was located on top of a large metal loft, so it was impossible to not hear people coming or going. I realized I hadn't heard any footsteps on the loud metal grating. I stood there, confused and looking around. I knew that there had been a person standing in front of me, but I was alone in the large collection space. I finally rattled down the stairs and across the building to ask my coworker if she needed anything and had been back in the space. She had not. The odd thing was, I didn't feel scared or startled at the shadow, but immediately thought it was my coworker. The shadow was also a similar size to my coworker. My coworker is on the smaller side. We had several artifacts in the ethnographic collection that had special handling instructions that were given to us by members of the various tribes. Some of these artifacts could only be handled by men, or the artifacts could not be handled by menstruating women, which was an interesting question to ask coworkers or the artifact could only be moved in a clockwise manner. It was incredibly important to me that these requests were honored, so I had gone through the shelves and placed a sticky note with any special instructions near the artifact. I also had a separate list of artifacts with special handling instructions just in case the sticky note became dislodged. One of these special handling artifacts was a small set of objects stored in a medicine pouch used by medicine men from the Sioux tribe in north central US. I had seen them many times, including the time I had placed the obligatory sticky note to mark their spot. One day I went to pull them from their location so they could be packed away for the move. I couldn't find them. I looked at the surrounding shelves and even the floor, but they weren't there. Nobody admitted to moving them. The door was always closed and locked. I had the only key to the storage room where they were located, and I always accompanied anyone in the room. I figured they would show up eventually. After a few days of searching and not locating the missing items, I was starting to panic. Eventually, I would have to report them as missing to the ethno-curator, who I was a little terrified. Losing something as important as this artifact would not be a good thing. I put off confessing the loss for as long as professionally possible. And about a week after I noticed the item was missing, I was telling a friend and coworker about how I was not looking forward to admitting this 
to the intimidating curator, but was planning to let her know that day. My friend, who is male, offered to help me look for them one last time. He immediately went to the shelf where they were supposed to be, and there they were, right by their sticky note and everything. I mentioned my coworker is male because this artifact was not to be touched by menstruating women especially, but preferably not by women at all. This coworker had been on vacation during the time the artifact went missing, and this was his first day back. Every other person on the ethno staff was female except him. We looked at each other and kind of shrugged it off and he packed the artifact away. A few months later, we had a visit from representatives of the Rosebud Sioux tribe. This was pretty common as we would often have different tribal representatives visit the museum for a variety of reasons. This particular representative was incredibly friendly and personable. He was relatively new to his position as he had previously worked at the Smithsonian. Over lunch, the talk turned to odd happenings he experienced while working at the Smithsonian, especially around the Egyptian artifacts. My confidence, bolstered by his stories and his open friendliness, I told him I'd had a weird thing happen to me, and could I ask his opinion about it? That was all I had said. I hadn't mentioned the artifact name, tribe, or what had happened. When he replied, Sure, don't worry. They were hiding from you. They just didn't want to be found. It's nothing evil or serious. I was stunned, but relieved. Stories like this are relatively common amongst people who work in museums and with historical artifacts, yet we will all tell our stories with caveats. I admit my eyes could have been playing tricks on me during the first story. It was late, toward the end of my shift, and I was tired and stressed. I also spent a lot of time in front of the computer, updating object locations in the catalog. The second story, though, that one's harder to rationalize and explain away. And I figure if anyone has, has heard stories of haunted museums, it would be you, Paul Bestel. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. The, the British Museum used to have its own tube station. Uh, it's no longer there anymore. They, uh, the tubes stop, stop at nearby Holborn, uh, a mile or so further down the tube line now. But the British Museum used to have its own tube stop. And uh, that whole area was allegedly haunted by the Egyptian princess Amun-Ra, who would terrorise passengers and people working, spiritually gliding around and scaring them. So would it just look like an Egyptian woman floating around, or would it look like a desiccated mummy? It was supposed to look like an Egyptian princess. Her as she looked in life before she was embalmed. Interesting. So how would she terrify them? Because that sounds, I don't know, I just, I, I, so this, this lady is chatting me up on the train. Did she have fangs or was she on fire? I mean, there must be something that made her scary because otherwise it just sounds like a pleasant afternoon. Uh, I think it was the fact that she obviously just wandered about and made strange noises and looked completely out of place because there weren't a lot of tanned people walking around London at that particular period of history. Okay, that's fair. I, I, I imagine that would makes it frightening for most people in England at the time. Melanin? Ooh, scary. <laughs> She's one of those swarthy working class types. Yeah. Spends all day in the fields cutting our corn. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure melanin, ooh, scary was just the British motto up until, well, <laughs> now. <laughs> well, that is why the um, upper class has always preferred to be pale, because apparently the paler, the paler you were meant that the less work you did. Really? Yeah, a tan was a sign of, of, of uh, a working class person because they were outside more. Wow, that's sad. That's, that's like saying, look how incapable I am. It is pr there's proof of it on my skin. I am great. 
because I am less capable than, oh, oh, you're coming for me with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, but um, yeah, it's one of those. Another one of uh, London Underground's great ghosts. I got to say that documentary you sent me about the underground way back, the London Underground, that's one of my favorite paranormal things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's easily one of my favorite ever documentaries on that particular subject. It's brilliantly done. And I, I kind of love this story from Catherine about this. Or not kind of, I very much love it. One, because I don't think we've had a lot of stories from people who work in museums. And two, because it hints at this much larger world of weird shit that happens. But it happens to people who are kind of trained to not think like that. And so maybe the stories don't get out. And I would love to know more. You know, I... I I, we just broke for lunch briefly. And when I was coming back in, I was listening to one of my podcasts that I like to listen to. And it, it's an atheist podcast. Um, I listen to it because it's funny. You know, I don't agree with their point of view. But one of the things they'll go on about is how, you know, all this stuff only ever happens, like with UFO stuff. This stuff only ever happens to, you know, hillbillies or whatever, which is, as you and I both know, it's not true. And whenever they talk about strange phenomenon, it's always stuff that they claim is really easily explained away. And I think this is a great example of just, no, this is a very commonplace thing that is not so easily explained away as you'd like to think. It's just, again, something that is, is seen by educated people who are kind of taught this is not possible, so they just sit on it. Mm. Well, I mean, when I spoke with Evelyn Hollow, she opened my eyes to the arguments that are often put forward about people who report having strange encounters, be it cryptids, ghosts... UFOs, whatever, the vast majority of these people are working class and therefore they are often presumed by the people making the explanations that these people lack intelligence and common sense because, you know, we're all feckless. They're yeah, just a bunch of tanned simpletons. Yes, and, and I'd never really considered it. And then when I began to look at numerous cases, every single one features the witness the prime witnesses in all the cases are working class people i mean i've heard people say about enfield that patricia hodgson wanted a new house she'd never said that ever she loved that house she never wanted to move right and i saw fairly recently somebody said well you know what people like that are like what working class people what do you mean yeah what does that even what, single mean? mum what a single woman oh it gets my goat as a as someone brought up my single mum for a period of time Piss off. Yeah. Uh, hey, I was, I was raised by a single mom for the majority of my life. I will say that annoys the shit out of me. And there is, this is a problem, I think, with, I think with the skeptical community generally, because I, I like to think that despite the fact you and I have our respective shows, you know, we do this show and you do Mysteries and Monsters. And I mean, my horror movie show is not paranormal, but I wrote a book about this shit. I believe in it. But we're still skeptical. Yeah. But the sort of capital S skeptical community is really elitist. Mm. And really condescending. And I struggle with that because, again, I, I agree with them on a lot of things. The way they come at it is I just think, wow, you, you suck. You suck. Even people who, who I really seem to like, who I like personally based on their work. You know, I, I won't say, say any names here, but being a dick is one thing. But being condescending, especially to people who you think are uneducated, who you think are uneducated, is not helping anyone. Not at all. It, it's infuriating. But it's, it's, once again, it's that kind of looking down at people. And all, you know, things like, oh, you know what these people are like? They're always drinking. What? So only working past people drink? And, and like Evelyn was saying, she said, I can guarantee you could go to an exclusive place 
that might be having haunted. And if anything, they're probably on diff- they're on harder substances. Sure. Just because they're in a gated community doesn't mean they're not drug addicts or alcoholics. It's all the rich people I know who do blow, man. <laughs> well, you have to be these days. That's it. You know, I, I, I yeah. It, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, as you, you and I were talking about this off air, about rich kids who get mixed up in stuff. And they just, they're, allow, they're able to do it because they have the time, they have the finances. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it, if, there's any, if there's anyone who's particularly debauched, it's the wealthy. To, to suggest that this is somehow, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it's, it's classist bullshit. Hmm. Well, there weren't many working class people getting flights with Jeffrey Epstein, were they? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, not in, at least not up front. Yeah, they weren't the passengers, they were the prize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, at least one of them's dead and the other ones are going to be there soon enough. Briefly going back to <laughs> Catherine's story, just to wrap it up, I couldn't, I wanted to try and find some other stuff uh, from around the area and I sort of, I could have gone more sort of widely Denver, but then I thought, ah, you know, I feel like we could maybe do a Haunting of Denver episode at some point. Mm. But I found this bridge, which I thought I'd just mentioned briefly, because I was curious to know if, if you had heard about this. It's the third bridge near Aurora, Colorado. Mm. So, no. yeah, I, I was I'm totally unfamiliar with it. I found it on a, a forum. But basically, it's, um, it can be a little hard to find, I'm told. Uh, if you look online, you can find the exact location. But if you're just unfamiliar with the area, apparently it can be difficult to find. But I guess mm. multiple people have reported seeing a tall shadow figure there. And then one group afterwards, they said that it seemed to follow them home. So there was, you know, at, once they got back from the bridge, there was flickering lights, there was banging sounds. And one group of them was joined by a bunch of strangers. And the strangers seemed friendly at first and then got increasingly aggressive the longer they were there. And um, I've got a, um, an actual account here that I'm going to read real quick. Mm. And again, this has nothing to do with Catherine's story. It's just regionally interesting. As soon as the road changed to dirt, we all got this feeling that something bad was going to happen. Like we had made a mistake deciding to come here. We made it to the top of the hill and just stopped. We're all just sitting there, looking in every direction, still deciding if we really want to drive down to the bridge. We hadn't been sitting there more than two minutes when I saw, at the foot of the bridge below us, a tall, dark figure just standing there. I knew it was staring at us. You could feel it. It had no facial features. It was just a solid black figure. You could tell it was a person, though. I looked at my friend in the passenger seat and asked if he was seeing this. All he said was, yep, with a terrified look on his face. I looked in the back to see my other two friends holding each other, staring at this thing. As I returned my focus back to it, it started sprinting at us. And I don't know if there's anything more terrifying than the idea of a spectral figure fucking sprinting at you, Paul, but it's got to be top five at least. It'd be up there, but I'd be more concerned if uh, if it was a some kind of fearsome cryptid. You just don't know, because if he gets a certain distance, maybe he turns into a dog, maybe he turns into a bat, sprouts wings. I feel like you just don't know. And so this is just, mm-hmm. you know, get the fuck out of here o'clock. Well, yeah, I mean, we have, a, we have another story coming up with some other kind of shape-shifting entity, don't we? Indeed we do. I, I do love a good shape-shifting entity. Unlike that movie I watched about shape-shifting werewolf people, which was dog shit. <laughs> which I will not name, because I don't like to bag on movies here, but... Yes, I turned the movie off within 15 minutes because it was uh, an offense against my eyes and my brain, which coming from me is saying something. That is. That is saying something. I have seen the Hulk Hogan masterpiece No Holds Barred multiple times, but this, this was a bridge too far. Hey there, folks. 
I want to take a moment to tell you about a podcast called Calm History. If you're like me, sleep is a dreaded enemy, and I have to be subdued like an angry bear every time I go to bed. Usually that takes the form of rain videos, sometimes ASMR, and in the last year or so, Calm History. Calm History is hosted by Harris, and in it he tells you about curious moments from history while lowering your stress. He narrates in a calm, relaxing voice that's not at all intrusive and just lets you kind of settle in and float away while learning about famous explorers, leaders, athletes, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and a whole bunch more. He's even got a six-part series about the Titanic. If you want to give Calm History a chance, you can listen for free anywhere you get your podcasts or check the show notes for a link to calmhistory.com. Sweet dreams. The Haunting of Co College from Zoe. I've been listening to the show for years and keep thinking about writing in, but felt like I needed to after listening to your High Strangeness in Iowa episode. I actually attended Coe College for my undergrad, and let me tell you, Helen is far from the only strange thing at that school. First off, Helen's connection to the clock is that supposedly her family donated it after she died in 1918. Above the clock is the painted image of a young woman's face, which is supposed to be Helen's. And while I never had any confirmed encounters with Helen, despite living in the residence hall that she died in for a year, I can confirm that that clock is profoundly spooky. It now resides in the Illumi Affairs Office, which is where you have to go to sign your thank you letters if you've had a scholarship that is funded by the alumni donors. This means I got to sit in front of it whilst I waited my turn to write letters for several years of my undergrad career. I didn't realise it was Helen's clock the first time I saw it. I felt very unsettled looking at it. This was before I had a smartphone, so I just kept on trying to find other things to focus on instead of that clock. I was so glad to leave. The rest of what I experienced at Co was small stuff. Shadows out of the corner of my eyes, creepy feelings, that kind of thing. But there's one instance that really stands out. I was responsible for one of the campus clubs for about a year and a half, which meant I either needed to be in the building we used, and we met on a Friday night and tended to stay up late, in order to make sure everyone was out before calling security come and lock up, or make sure someone else was there to take care of it. One night, the activity I was running finished early, so my friend and I were sitting on one of the couches on the first floor, waiting for everyone else to finish up, when we both saw what looked like someone going up the stairs out of the corner of our eyes. It wasn't impossible that someone had come into the building, but we could see both doors from where we sat, and neither of them had opened, so we thought it was someone else from the group coming to get us for some reason, and changing their mind. Naturally, we went upstairs, because we usually met in the classrooms on the second floor, to see who needed us. But everyone in the other room said no one had left. Of course, being in college, and at least somewhat convinced of our own invulnerability, we decided to go check the rest of the building. Now the building in question is technically four floors, with the top being locked for students and used for storage. Security had already come by and locked the classrooms and offices that weren't in use. This wasn't a big building, there weren't really a lot of places to hide. So we checked the bathrooms on the first and second floors before going up to the empty third floor. Nothing. No one in the bathrooms and all the other doors were locked. 
so he started back towards the stairs, only to then see movement going up from the third floor. We ran after it, only to come to the locked door going towards the fourth floor. At this point, we were both well freaked out and went back to the rest of the group and asked someone else if they could call security to lock up and got out of there. Nothing like that ever happened again in that building whilst I was there. And that was far from the last time I was in that building late at night. It still makes me uneasy thinking about it. That building has since been renovated and I wonder if things are still happening or if it was truly a one-off situation. The one other thing I had happen was my one and only experience with sleep paralysis in my senior year, which featured a pale, angular figure hunched next to my desk watching me sleep. But, like I said, that only happened the once, and whilst it left me feeling creeped out and out of sorts the following day, it was probably just a result of stress mixed with the alcohol I had had before going to bed. Keep up the good work, guys. Love the show. I will say, I mean, I've spent most of my days marinating in stress, alcohol or both. I have yet to see a pale, angular man looming over me. Fucking hell, I ate stress for 10 years. I didn't see fucking anything. <laughs> I was thinking about the co-college thing. And I mean, Zoe suggests that maybe this is something that's kind of come and gone. But I, everything I read suggests this is an ongoing thing with co-college. You know, this is, I think, based on what I've read, one of Iowa's most famous ghost stories. Which, imagine how it must feel, you know, if, if this person has survived and, and, you know, maybe they're watching from elsewhere, they're not at Co College, they're just kind of watching from the afterlife, having a margarita, and just thinking, you bastards didn't give a shit about me till I died of the flu. And, and then they're watching all these people refuse to wear masks and they're going, you motherfuckers. Have we learned nothing? Yeah. yeah no, the answer is no. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I mean, I guess we sort of had a version of that with, with Nick in this, uh, this sort of thing in the tub where you kind of have to live with it afterwards. You know, it, it's happened and it doesn't make any sense. Now you have to try and make some kind of sense. You have to find a way to square it away in your brain. And I will say that's something I'll give to the skeptics is quite often I think they're just looking for a way to make it make sense in their heads. And I kind of understand that, you know, I understand the fear and the just like, okay, this, this doesn't fit the model of the world I had kind of set out for me. What do I do now? So to a certain degree, I guess I sympathize. Oh yeah. Also, it makes things they can't explain seem less scary. If you just, yeah, just, if you can just dismiss it wholesale. Yeah. If you can just basically, I mean, you know, it's one of those things like these days, a lot of people go, oh, well, it's because people have moldy houses. That's why they're all seeing ghosts. Jesus Christ. I saw, a, I saw an article where somebody said, yeah, it's down to mould. But then, later on in the article, they said out, out of the properties that they'd done, 50% had mould, 50% didn't, and yet they were all claimed to be haunted. So basically, you've just told us what you think it is, and then later on in the article, you've told us that that proves it's not true. I was just going to say, how did they square that? But obviously, stupid me, the answer is they didn't bother. Well, you know, as with anything, you focus on what you can explain and anything that doesn't fit it, you just ignore it. I mean, there's a very famous sceptic who spent years banging on and on about Oak Island being a complete fake and it just being a sinkhole. And if you now go on his Wikipedia page, all the uh, statements about that particular case have been completely removed from his Wikipedia because it clearly isn't a sinkhole and clearly something odd has happened there. Right. There is, and this is this is a well-known fact, there is a very aggressive 
bunch of sceptics who go on Wikipedia and alter articles in their favour. Really? Yep. That doesn't seem right. So what kind of articles? Anything to do with the paranormal, cryptozoology and ufology. They will alter them, uh, dismiss them. They will remove anything they've been wrong about on their personal pages if they have them. And they are extremely aggressive and very arrogant about it. Seems like dirty pool, but again, I guess that's how it's played. Well, you know, I suppose it gives them something else to think about other than their hor- horrific homophobia and transphobia that they also like to indulge themselves in. They're just a bunch of bell ends. On the other side of this, right, I have witnessed two of the most brain-meltingly stupid posts I've seen this week in cryptozoological forums. Oh, no. One was from somebody in America who posted a picture of a fucking playground and said, Here, here's the predator mode of a Bigfoot. It's a fucking playground, you dick. There's nothing happening. You've just taken a picture and then told us there's an invisible Bigfoot in it. That's not true. You know, and you're just like, oh, and there are thousands of them, of these people, all taking pictures of nothing, going, can you see it? No, because there's nothing there. Oh. And then and two days later, some Muppet uploaded some pictures of a tree. Can you see the dog, man? <laughs> can you see a dog, man? What, in Blackburn? No. There's not werewolves <laughs> running about Blackburn, you stupid chuff. What are you on about? <laughs> so somebody says... I'm sorry, that's that's terrible. And they just went, shut up, you dumb bitch. I mean, this is too... Oh, this my is, God. Th- these are women as well. This is a woman who uploaded these photos. Anybody criticised her? It was just pff, insults. It was... And they weren't even good photos. They looked like they'd been taken on a, on a potato, not a phone. <laughs> as you're, proof. Proof of dogman. No! The only thing this proves is you need to see your doctor because your medication's run out. <laughs> Honestly... So I have an idea. We, we, we build a stadium on an ice flow. And we invite the skeptics and we invite all the really credulous cryptid people. They're going to pwn each other in the, in the um, marketplace of ideas. That's how we sell it to them. We are going to, each of them is going to get whatever it is they want. This, they're going to win over the skeptics. The skeptics are going to win over the idiots. And then we just push the ice flow out to sea. And then they're all gone. Polar bears need to eat too. That's it. This is a circle of life moment, Paul. That's what this is. Yeah. Anyway, and the final, the the, the coup de gras of oh, bullshit. Oh, no. it gets worse. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I was on X for some reason. I was looking just to see if anything remotely interesting. Twitter. Was happening you were on there. Twitter. I'm not. We're not calling it that. Here. Yes. There I, is no X in this dojo. Good. I was on Twitter, and I accidentally stumbled into a flat Earth conversation, and within ten seconds, I could feel my eyes bleeding through the stupidity <laughs> that I was reading. Yep. And it was like somebody going, oh, yeah, well, you know, all these people that are against Flat Earth, it's because they're tied to our a belief system that's not right. Says a man who's going on about Flat Earth, the only object in the known universe is flat, is Earth. Okay, mate. Right you are. <laughs> How do ships navigate by using stars then, dickhead? And he explained that way. Uh, that's only been used for the last 50 years. No, it hasn't. What? What are you Is talking how... about? They just, they know nothing. The people who push these kind of, what I've found, especially over the last three years is, and obviously because I love weird things and there are certain conspiracies that have proven to be true. My experience of dealing with people who believe conspiracy theories is, is they know next to nothing about anything. It helps. You know, it's like when people say, oh, they never landed on the moon. 
Well, tell me how you know that. Oh, well, Van Allen's belt. Well, what do you know about Van Allen's belt? Uh, well, I just know it's radioactive. What about it, though? I'm radioactive. <laughs> Oranges are radioactive. Everything's radioactive. If you get a Geiger counter, you will find trace results of, of, of radiation. That's the universe. It's everywhere. <laughs> All of us are radioactive in, in, um, in amounts. It's like you, why you can go to Chernobyl and you can wear a special badge on you and you're allowed to wander around in that particular area until that badge starts going boop, 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 boop. And that's I didn't your, know that. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, um, oh, what's he called? Jeremy Wade, the, one of the world's greatest fishermen, does river monsters. He'd heard stories about mutated giant catfish living in the Chernobyl region after the... Uh, the nuclear uh, meltdown that occurred there in 86. And you right. can go there, but you have to wear one of these special badges and it's a security alarm. And they also tell you, you can't walk there and you can't walk there. You walk there and that was it. And he oh, was allowed, I think he was allowed four or five hours and then it just started going beep, 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 beep. And that's when it basically means you've been there long enough. If you're there any longer, you will begin to start to become right. ill. And they went and he was fine. No, no side effects at all. So... Oh, you know, there are moments where I I sit back and I think how much money you and I could make <laughs> by preying on credulous dipshits. Oh, I you, you know? I could you you could you know all I would need to do you know this may may or may not be someone in the cryptozoological scene. I I am not naming names. What all you need to do is get your dad. Say you're filming in night vision in a in a wood in Florida, perhaps, and you get your dad to run across the background. And then you can spend the next 10 years living off that, claiming you've filmed a skunk ape. Who would do such a thing? Hmm. <laughs> a Flannel Man on Salt Spring Island, from Sloan. Patron and longtime listener here writing to express what I think is gratitude. Although I'm now a retired psychologist, I've been a student of paranormal high strangeness since childhood. I'm no Paul Bestel. Hey, there's only one of those. But I thought I had a pretty broad paranormal knowledge base. You rascally ghost story guys taught me new subject matter, leaving me stunned. I'll explain. I lived abroad for several years, and for one vacation in about 2015, my husband and I returned to the Pacific Northwest for a three-week trip with an official start on Salt Spring Island, off Vancouver Island in the Salish Sea. We had never been, and were staying in a primitive cabin for a few days before moving to the mainland. Loving to hike, we read through options in a visitor book settling on Ruckel Provincial Park. We drove there, parked, ripped the map out of the guidebook, and took off. After a couple hours, we realized we had made a wrong turn or something and were not on the trail we had planned for. Truth be told, we were lost. I immediately blamed my husband for this because he ridicules me for being overprepared for things, and this time I had no extra supplies or backup plan. You see how that makes it his fault, right? We kept following the trail we thought had the best chance of leading us in the right direction. We started gaining too much altitude, which I was sure was a mistake, but at that point we were committed. The park isn't that big and we figured we would eventually arrive at a road or, or parking lot. I was heaving myself up a steep incline when there was a loud pop, coupled with blinding knee pain, resulting in me emitting an involuntary shriek. Within two minutes my right knee swelled to the size of a melon and I was unable to bear weight. My husband can't carry me, and I'll be damned if I'm going to call for rescue like a wimp. I hobbled forward with hiking poles, and my husband ran ahead to scout routes and then come back and confer with me. This became a slow, painful process that seemed to go on forever. 
With my husband far ahead and out of sight, a man rushed out of the trees and crossed my path from left to right, about 75 feet in front of me. He bulldozed through the brush where there was no path, which I noted at the time to be very odd. Moving at a rate in between a jog and a run, it seemed like he was running from or to something. He was in his 30s or 40s with dark hair that was a bit curly and about earlobe length. He wore a blue plaid shirt and denim jeans, no jacket, but maybe suspenders. I could not see what he had on his feet, but he had about a week's worth of beard growth. He looked straight ahead, which would be 90 degrees from my position. If I'm at 6 o'clock, he was running towards 3 o'clock, and never glanced in my direction. At the time, I thought he looked very scruffy and out of place, like something wasn't right. My first inclination was he had been camping for several weeks, but he didn't have a pack, and backpackers in the PNW never wear denim or things with such a high cotton content. The next time my husband came back to check on me, I asked him what the guy had advised regarding directions and so on. Husband had no idea what I was talking about. I insisted he had to have seen the guy because he would have crossed our trail. The situation made me more hissy because husband clearly hadn't been paying attention and everything was his fault. We continued on, eventually came to a road, and hitchhiked back to our car. We were going in nearly the exact opposite direction from where we wanted to be. To shorten the story, my husband got me crutches at a charity shop. I took the Vicodin prescribed to him for dental surgery right before our trip. A bunch of important stuff in my knee had torn, and I took an international flight home in a wheelchair. Surgery and months of physical therapy followed. These events were soon forgotten until years later I was listening to the ghost story guys when a story about the flannel man was discussed. I was dumbfounded. I'm sure that's what I saw. Although my memory is that he wore blue flannel and not the typical red, I knew at the time that he was out of place. I had never previously heard any stories about a paranormal flannel man. So, thanks for that teaching moment, and keep doing your thing. When Paul comes to Seattle, I will take him to some Sasquatch locations. So, thank you, Sloan. Paul, you're, you're all set for, uh, for Sasquatch hunting in the uh, greater Seattle region. Seattle is, is a city on my bucket list. I would love to, uh, to visit it. I like to be as close to the potential most volcanic region in North America as possible. And why not? <laughs> no, but I, I, yeah. I, 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 I have a... I'm, I'm, there's something about Seattle that, you know, it just seems a, a, a place that with, a, with a lot going on, both culturally and, and sporting. And, and obviously it's in such a beautiful part of, uh, of the States. It's just incredible. Some of the views you've got there where you can see all the... You know, Mount St. Helens and the light in the background. It's just, oh, beautiful. Yeah, Seattle is gorgeous. It's actually, it's only a two and a half hour ferry ride away from Victoria. Mm. And uh, it is it is a lovely city. I, I don't see nearly enough of it. Uh, it's expensive. The Pacific Northwest is expensive. Yeah, but, and they've, um, got a, uh, they've got a cryptid sports team there, haven't they? Which one? The ice hockey team's called the Krakens. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, very cool. All right. The Seattle Kraken. Um, and speaking of Kraken... Sloan's knee. I got to tell you, reading that story, man, oh, I full body cringed. And funny enough, I read that just as um, the other day we got the carpets cleaned here and I had to go get cash because apparently this thing is run by money launderers. <laughs> and so I, I went to go get cash from the, from the machine and then my landlord texted me and said, hey, why aren't you at home? The carpet cleaners are here. And I thought, oh, fuck, okay, fine. They were early. So I, I started running, which yeah, yeah, not something I really do. Turns out I'm better at it now than I was. I'm about 35, 40 pounds lighter. So that's probably got something to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, my body's not used to it. And I felt my left knee 
getting kind of pissy as I was running. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop because as much as I'd like to think that I'm suddenly going to discover I'm an athlete, more likely my whole body's going to rattle itself to pieces like an old Subaru. And so I, I kind of slowed down, kept walking. And of course it's fine. But when I read Sloan's story after that, just the pop and the swelling and I just, I, I, my whole body just went, oh yeah, so that's what we managed to avoid. Good times. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've knackered my knee several times. My favorite one was when I was playing football and I chipped my kneecap. You chipped it? Yeah, I got kicked in the knee. Somebody <laughs> tried to take me out and it just oh. made me angry. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I, I'm angry. Well, yeah, I was, and I was just like fired up. So I played through the pain and then I couldn't walk for three days. My knee swelled up to the size of a, uh, of a melon. Oh, man. And it went a lovely sort of purpley blue color. Beautiful. Oh, did it need any kind of work? No, I've always had a problem with my left knee. I had a bit where I, I would play in a lot of sports and uh, for for about two years it squeaked like an old door. Like proper went... Oh, God. Like it needed oil. Like I was the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> so they oh. just had to slice it up and I just got bits of uh, cartilage and stuff floating about in it and the squeaking noise was when the cartilage was catching in the hinge. Oh, joint. Christ. So they just sliced it and hoovered it out. Did it How's on that all? It's quite good. You can hear go... And you can hear bits of stuff hitting, rattling. Cool. Yep, that's great. <laughs> but um, anyway, I know you're going to say, man in a plaid shirt, but blue. Yeah, I, I, but I feel like we've heard that before. I feel like that's not necessarily the first time we've heard... I, I know we've talked to like, the plaid people. We've got a whole episode about it. But I'm pretty sure we've heard the blue before. Yeah, the vast majority of the sightings are people wearing red and black, aren't they? I believe flannel so, man. yeah. And also is, is Ryan Sprague's disguise as well, because it's a running joke that he's flannel man, isn't it? Um, <laughs> right. He, he, loves, he loves a plaid shirt, as old Ryan. And um, But yeah, there's not many, but there are some there. I mean, <laughs> some of the stranger Bigfoot reports, there's a, there's a whole raft of reports of Bigfoot wearing clothing. Really? Yeah. You've got to look for them, but you can find reports from sort of the early part of the 20th century where people saw Bigfoot. One of them, he was wearing a plaid shirt. Okay. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? I'm sure if you throw clothing into certain, give it to certain great apes or, or monkeys, I'm sure some of them would put it on if they found it and, and walk about and go, look at me. Aren't I the, the Bobby Dazzler? I'm a human. Look, I gotta pay rent. Ooh, get me. I'm a human. Ooh, I'm really stressed. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is better. Yeah, that's pretty I good. hate my life. Look at <laughs> yeah, this. I'm right. on the computer. <laughs> Folks, uh, I wish you could see the v the visual for this. In fact, actually, you can because we we do have uh, video stories on YouTube now. So I'm gonna make sure I give this one to Adam to edit because the world needs to see Paul's. Adam, cut all my shit. Anywhere I was talking, just keep Paul doing that because that's I live for this. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm 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 trying to think. There is, I mean, this is one of the things about John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies. Unless you've read the book, people think The Mothman Prophecies is about Mothman, but it isn't. It's about all the other weird shit, and Mothman occasionally appears in it. One of the reports in that book is about a girl who is frightened to death in her bed when a flannel man turns up in her bedroom. And I'm trying to think if she describes him wearing a blue shirt, blue plaid shirt. I forgot about that. 
Well, I know the uh, for the the new version of of my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere. Fine books. Great forward. With a great forward, a magnificent forward, one might say. <laughs> a beautiful bald forward. Sorry. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Back in the room. Powerfully masculine. But anyways. <laughs> Machismo. The last new story I added was someone in Hermit Valley, uh, just outside of Revelstoke, kind of having a similar experience to Sloan where they saw a man kind of hike. In this case, he was hiking down past them, but when they turned around to look, he was gone and there was absolutely nowhere he could have gone. And I believe he may have been wearing plaid as well. It's, it's a generally a fascinating phenomenon, man. I've still not wrapped my head around it. Again, I think there might be something to the pattern. Mm. I don't know if it's just something with our, our eyes make that our, are seeing that pattern. I don't know, but it's, it's wonderfully strange. I, I will say though, Sloan, it's not impossible. You just saw a hipster. I mean that on Salt Spring Island, very possible. That's very close to where I am. Yeah. Um, probably looking for a coffee shop. Yep. That's he's probably, he's running down to Ganges, which is where he's going to find the only good cup of coffee on the Island. It's a lovely Island, I will say, but I feel really bad for the people living there. Cause God, you know, again, there's this coffee shop and it's called the Treehouse. Over on in Ganges, I think it's what it's called. Really nice food, you know, it's solid. But if you're a local and you want to get in there, good goddamn luck. Good goddamn luck. That place has been featured in more magazines than Christy Turlington. It just <laughs> one for the kids there. Yeah, right. I was trying to think of a Lenny Clum. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yeah, the Funky Bunch got that one. Have you been listening to those those top popsters, the Beatles, recently? I love their <laughs> new album. <laughs> All right, it's a little more recent than that. Have you heard I'd, the latest like... Blondie single? There we go. <laughs> Heart of Glass. Yeah, there we go. This Lawrence <laughs> Gowan fellow is really going places. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, yeah. I mean, for me, the, the 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 best researcher in this particular field is is obviously Timothy Renner. Right. He's done a lot of work on the flannel man or the man in played or whatever. I mean, the other argument is people say, well, they're all ghosts. Are they? Just a lot of dead lumberjacks out there. High mortality rate. Well, there probably was, to be fair. Oh, yeah, that's fair. The Dream Creature from Nick. Hey, guys. I love listening to your podcast, especially at work while I'm dealing with the work ghost. I've got a story for you from when I lived in Souk. This all started when my family moved to a cul-de-sac. Had about eight houses and was surrounded by a bit of forest. This was also right next to Vancouver Island's first cemetery. Now before this move, I had never experienced anything like this before. But the night we moved in, I started to have weird dreams. In them, it's dark out, and I'm taking garbage out to the bin. I would look into the forest behind our house, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't stop myself from screaming. When I did scream, this emaciated human-looking thing would rush out of the forest, grab me and drag me into the woods. It's then I would wake up with the feeling like I was being shocked. This dream happened every single night I was in this house. On the week I would stay with my grandparents, I wouldn't have this dream. Same goes for overnight school trips. It would only happen on nights I was in this house. I would also like to point out that any time I was in this house, I would feel like I was being watched, even if I was the only one home. There were times when stuff would move or go missing, 
and I would be blamed for it. It wasn't until a year after living in this house with the nightly dreams and stuff moving, where myself and my sisters started to see an old lady walk around the basement at night. My bedroom was in the basement. She looked tall, skinny, and with long, curly, blonde, wet hair. My parents would constantly tell us to stop lying about it, and tried gaslighting us into stopping. It wasn't until we got a dog that my parents started to believe us. Harley would refuse to go into the basement at any cost, and tucked her tail between her legs and started to whine whenever she was brought close to the door. It was after this where I started to feel like I was being watched even more, and I felt paranoid and fear any time I was alone down there. We moved shortly after that, and the dream stopped the same night we moved. I don't know what was in that house, but whatever it was, I'm glad it didn't follow. Of course, now there's paranormal stuff happening at work, but I'll tell you guys about that later on. Thank you guys, and once again, love listening to your podcast. So thank you, Nick. And it's funny, I actually thought that Ross Bay Cemetery was Vancouver Island's first cemetery, and I wasn't totally able to verify that because it's at least, I believe, acknowledged to be the oldest in BC, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, interestingly enough, though, near the cemetery you're talking about, Nick, there, because I believe the cemetery you're talking about is uh, near the corner of East Souk Road and Maple, I think. And that is also the area where a spirit they call the Souk Spinster is reported. And it's been reported a number of times throughout the years in different forms. You know, some people say she's very homely, some people say she's very pretty, but there is a, a spirit of a woman who's often seen on that road out in that direction. So it may be that that's what you were experiencing in the basement. Souk's a really interesting area. I, I used to, a lot of people from Victoria dump on Souk because it's, you know, it's a small town. But it's actually a nice place, but it does have a really unique energy. I know when I had my car uh, and I was driving a lot at night, sometimes I would go out there, but there were always certain nights where you felt like, eh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I shouldn't necessarily go out this far into the trees. But when you did, it it was always a a fascinating vibe. I mean, the other aspect of that story is once again, imagine being so terrified by something and when you come to speak to people who you trust and love the most, they tell you that you're lying. I was thinking that, yeah. And, and they believe you when the dog vouches for you. <laughs> Thank God for Harley. Yeah, and right? Good girl. Yes, absolutely. Good Lord. Yeah. So thank you again, Nick, for sharing that. And I got to say, I, I'm really thrilled that we have two stories from Vancouver Island on this one, because this show doesn't have a lot of traction on the island. Again, like I've said this before, something like 75% of our audience is in the US. Uh, we don't get a ton of traction on, on in Canada generally. So whenever we get a new patron in Canada or we get stories from Canada, I'm always thrilled. New Year 1990, from Haley. My experience happened to me and my friend Susie on New Year's Eve 1990 when we were 13 years old. Susie and I met on the first day of high school and became instant best friends. We were both only children and, like teenage girls do, we spent every second together, including sleepovers every weekend. Ever since I was a baby, my parents had gone out every Saturday night with friends, and my grandma had always come to babysit. Susie and I obviously felt we were too old for a babysitter, but my grand came over anyway since it was the routine we'd always had. A little bit of background information helped visualize a setting. My childhood home was very small, what in Yorkshire is called a two-up, one-down, back-to-back terraced house. Basically a small entrance hall with an open-plan living room and kitchen, with two bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs. 
New Year's Eve came around and Susie and I were super excited. My gran was there to babysit and we were just watching TV and waiting for the bells to count down the new year. As midnight got closer, my gran said we had to go to the door, open it wide and welcome in the new year. As Susie and I rushed to the door to fling it open, we were both giggly and felt a bit silly. But as we opened the door, we stood frozen in complete shock. What was on the doorstep is very hard to describe. But I was rooted to the spot in utter terror, and a rush of panic paralyzed me. I could see the street outside. My vision was perfectly clear, and I remember looking around in confusion because I could feel it radiating utter evil just inches away from me. The feeling was of absolute primeval terror, like I was being looked at by a predator and it was sizing me up. I heard Susie say in a small, terrified voice, Close the door, close the door, Haley, please. I can't remember if I closed it or she did, but somehow the door was closed. We were shocked and ashen-faced, but headed back into the room where my gran held out her hands to sing Auld Lang Syne. I remember when we finished singing, Susie bolted out of the room saying she was going to be sick, and my gran was shivering, saying she was freezing cold, and I realized she had felt something too. I started to make my gran a hot drink while trying to process what had just happened on the doorstep, and then went to check on Susie. She was crying and being sick in the bathroom, saying she wanted to go home. She couldn't go home, though, as it turned out her parents were still out, which I was grateful for, as I didn't want to sleep alone in my room. She left pretty quickly that morning, and we tried to forget about what had happened that night. Then, on the 28th of January, my lovely gran, Elsie, had a stroke and died. I knew then that the thing that came on New Year's Eve had come because of her imminent death. I thought it must have been some kind of portent, or something that was passing by and sensed death, or even death itself showing what the coming year was going to bring for us. Then, after my grand's funeral, Susie came by to see me. She said she knew that night my grand was going to die because of what we had seen on the doorstep. What we had seen? I hadn't seen anything. But it turned out she had. She asked me if I wanted to know, which I did. Was it a person? I asked. She said no. Was it an animal? Again, she said no. What the hell is left? I remember thinking, before telling her I changed my mind and I didn't want to know. The experience was so traumatic, I didn't want to add an image to go with it, especially as it had come from my very loved, very kind grandma. For years, I couldn't talk about the incident without crying and becoming very, very frightened, but as the years have passed, 35 this year, the feeling has lessened, and it is just an odd story I occasionally tell people now. For 35 years, that was the whole story, until yesterday when I went to visit Susie for the first time in 15 years, and I finally decided to ask her what she experienced that night. It turns out that when we closed the door, we hadn't closed it fast enough, and what I thought was the end of the experience was actually just the start of Susie's horrifying encounter, because something came in. I just hadn't seen it. Susie was very reluctant to tell me her memory of the experience, and actually burst into tears when I brought it up. She hoped I'd forgotten about it, as we'd never spoken about it again, and she never mentioned it because she wanted to protect me from what she saw that night. She felt the same feelings from it as I did, but this is what she actually saw. As we went to the door and opened it, I saw a cloud of hazy blackness hovering in the doorway, 
and I was hit with a blast of ice-cold air. As we stood there, it slowly started to float towards us, and I started to say, close the door, close the door, but it passed into the house before we managed to get it closed. When we went inside and held hands, it was floating in the corner of the room, and as we sang, it floated down towards us and started to circle. While it was prowling around us, it began to form into a four-limbed humanoid shape, and it was definitely standing on its hind legs. It had a definite head and a long snout or beak at the front. It was more defined, but still more cloud than solid. I was seeing it from outside my body, watching it circle. I could see you and your grand, but not myself as I was looking through my eyes and also seeing from outside at the same time. As we finished singing, it stopped at your grandma and went inside her. Then it was gone. That's when I knew I was going to throw up. I ran to the toilet and was being sick into the bath while I had sat on the toilet, literally crapping myself in fear. I knew that night she was going to die, and I couldn't tell you anything because it was so awful. It took me a lot of persuading to get this story out of her. She was shaking and sobbing through the whole recounting of it. It turns out that this has haunted her for years. She suffers with reoccurring night terrors where it comes back to get her. While I've shared my story many times, she has only told two or three people in the last 35 years, specifically her partners since they need to help her wake up when she has the night terrors. I hope that her finally telling me means she's free of the burden she's been carrying all this time. I asked her a few questions about what she saw. I asked if the thing absorbed light and she said no. It was also silent and she didn't see any other features such as eyes or ears. Also unbeknownst to us, my grandmother had pancreatic cancer. We're not even sure if she had been told herself, and certainly neither I nor my parents knew until after she died. Could she have smelled the illness inside her and this triggered what she saw? If that's the case, how did I feel what she was seeing? We did live in an old mill town with a paint factory behind us and a wire-making factory at the top of the street. Could this have produced infrasound or paint fumes that triggered a joint experience? I can hear Paul's eyeballs rolling to the back of his head as I say this. I never opened the door now, and I never welcome anything in. It took years before I could even go outside on New Year's Eve again. Ironically, I live in a village that has a light festival on New Year's Eve where the villagers light flaming torches and walk to the four corners of the village to banish evil spirits. I would love to hear your thoughts on this incident, as I've only once heard a similar story about a healthcare professional who saw a black mass outside a building where they were visiting a patient, and the black mass radiated the same feelings I described. The patient also died a few minutes later, but I can't remember which episode it was. Anyways, sorry for the long ramble, and if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch. All the best, Haley. So, thank you, Haley, for sharing that with us. That's an incredible story. And, and of course, even though it's sometime in the past, we're sorry to hear about your grandmother. Paul, the black mist strikes again. The description of the entity had my grey cells working overtime because I have heard of a similar creature. Really? Where was it uh, spotted? It's a Slav harbinger of death. Really? Known as the Drakivak. Drakivak. Okay. And that is described as a beaked creature. Interesting. All black and arrives to either notify of incoming death or to take someone away. Oh, wow. That's that's incredible. So that, that's basically like a one-to-one thing. Yeah. Interesting. It's their, their interpretation of the Grim Reaper, though it's quite unique. There isn't anything else that I'm aware of, in Europe, especially in Europe, of any harbinger of, of 
death or passing that is described as anything like having a beak at all, you know? Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, we've, we've had Black Mist stories on this show, but not with beaks. Mm. Because when I read Henry's story, the image that came into my mind when I saw that description was, was one of those old plague doctors, you know, the ones that used to have the big nose cones on. Oh, of course, yeah. And so I had I, I heard something several years ago talking about European folklore and they were talking about death creatures. Obviously the banshee and the shuck came up, but I'd never heard of the Dracovac prior to that. So it's always stuck with me because it's such a uniquely sounding creature. So when I read that, yeah. it made me think. Um, and, and, and it's quite a harrowing experience that Haley's friend had, that she was able to see it, whereas she was able to feel it, but not see it. And obviously yeah. her grandmother was completely oblivious. That's, that's scary. Like the, the fact that our bodies are kind of autonomously working away in the background and just making themselves function the way they should, you know, like w without our input, that's kind of weird enough. I don't like thinking about that too much if I'm honest with you, <laughs> but the idea that then something else can just come in and influence that, that's a whole other level of unsettling. Yeah, very much so. And I would like to say, Haley, my eyes were not rolling into the back of my head. I think <laughs> you always have to look at any potential possibility for a for an explanation th that's fine if it then becomes the only explanation then there's an issue yeah that's it like it's it's always as, as you say it's good to to consider alternative options because we don't want to jump to conclusions but as we were saying earlier there is no mechanism for shared hallucination whether it be through pardon me whether it be through infrasound or or anything there is just no mechanism for that no so i mean but then you would suggest well why would a slavic harbinger of death come and visit a family in Yorkshire on New Year's Eve. Do they have Slavic genes? Did it come to the wrong I mean, house? I, I was wondering that if there was, if the, you know, sort of that was their heritage. Or I, I sometimes wonder too if just some cultures have a better accounting of these things. And so we tend to think of them as, oh, that's an X. Like, you know, that's a yokai. So that's, that's a Japanese thing. Or that is, you know, uh, what's the name again with this one? Uh, Jakovac. Dracovac. That's Dracovac. That must be here. But I wonder if maybe it's not necessarily like that. It's just these are the places who have observed these things and been able to record them. Because, I mean, we've got, uh, aren't sparrows meant to be psychopomps? They're said to bear spirits away to the land of the dead. Mm, I think so, yeah. And, and back. So it's kind of a similar idea. It's, it's just there isn't as fully formed a concept around it. So I wonder if, again, we're, we're doing that thing where, where the uh, blind men feel in different parts of an elephant, and we're all kind of trying to describe what amounts to the same thing, but we just have different points of view and different amounts of material to work with. Mm. As, as mentioned, the shook gets roped into people's death, but it's one of those things that people say, oh, well, if you see a shook, you're going to die. Well, how do you know? If you see it and you yep. die, how do you know somebody's, somebody's seen it's died? Because they're dead. Mind you, we were talking about Angel of Death in Iowa last episode, weren't we? Oh, of course. Yeah, that, that's where we had the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Touch that, you die. Yeah. Or, or again, don't touch it. You're still going to die. <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me, speaking of Iowa, we've had a lot of people get in touch and say, I can't believe you guys didn't mention Field of Dreams. And we're like, I mean, guys, come on. Everyone knows Field of Dreams. I, I just feel like, you know, uh, we can do better. I mean, I love Field of Dreams. I think it's a wonderful film, but yeah, I don't know that we necessarily needed to riff on a 30-year-old movie. Expect the unexpected. Yes, there we go. 
what he said. <laughs> also, speaking of things that were not addressed, it occurred to me that in Nick's story, we forgot to connect it back to the previous story, where she had seen the pale figure above her when she was sleeping, and he dreamed about a pale figure coming for him out of the woods. Well, yeah, this is, this is quite interesting. I've been seeing a lot of things to do with pale figures this week. Really? Um, there's a, a, a chap from America, a guy called Nate Brislin, who's just released a book called Crawlers, which is featuring oh. all the reports of all these pale creatures that people have encountered. Um, so that could be worth looking into. Um, yeah. As well as somebody who's written a big essay about the Dover demon claiming that, in their opinion, it was obviously a fairy. I feel like obviously might be overstating it, but okay, that's an interesting theory. Mm. Mm. So, I don't know. It must be Pale Creature Week. I mean, Paul, for me, every week is Pale Creature Week. <laughs> as long as it's not the bloody rake, I'm not bothered. <laughs> totally real. Oh, ah, yeah. As real as real as skunk ape footage filmed, <laughs> filmed by a man with a hipster beard. My friend from Harry. I've been binge listening to Ghost Story Guys since I found it, and I'm loving it. You both make me laugh out loud to myself when I'm alone trying to work from home. I want to tell you about two strange experiences that I've had that I believe to be connected to my deceased friend. So here goes. Some years ago, I was sat around with a group of friends at a mate's house in Brighton, in the southeast of England, having a drink and a laugh like you do. We were listening to music and I was reminiscing about a very good friend of mine who had sadly succumbed to a drugs overdose a few years prior and was happily telling funny stories of the things we'd got up to. The conversation was upbeat and humorous as opposed to dwelling on the very sad way in which his life had ended. Anyway, a few hours later and long after the conversation about my friend had ended, I needed the loo, so off I went. The hallway was dark and I opened the bathroom door and felt around for the light cord. I'd taken my first steps into the bathroom and the very second I pulled the light cord, I felt the wind of something brush past my face and I heard something land at my feet. I had no idea what had just brushed past me, but as I looked down to see what had fallen, there on the floor was a spent bullet, the ones that clip together and make up a bullet belt. For clarity, we're into punk and so was my friend who'd passed away, so whilst the object itself wasn't strange to me, I still to this day cannot explain where the hell it came from. It literally fell from the ceiling and it was as if it had been dropped millimetres from my face at the exact moment I pulled on the light cord. There was absolutely nothing above the door apart from the ceiling, so it didn't fall from a shelf or a cupboard. I couldn't explain it. I stood there in the bathroom trying to make sense of what had just happened. And then I suddenly remembered my earlier reminiscing about my friend. A feeling then came over me that I can only describe as euphoria. It was him. It was the only thing that made sense to me. He was letting me know that he'd heard me talking about him earlier. The second incident was some years later, about three years ago. This time I was at home and I had just been thinking about my friend and I spoke to him out loud just for a moment or two. My thoughts passed and I went out to the conservatory to plant up some seedlings. I was leaning down and had my feet slightly apart as I was getting on with my task, and directly in front of me was the brick wall to the house. As I did my planting, 
I saw out of the corner of my eye a little white object land in between my feet, and I heard the sound of it dink softly onto my boots. I picked it up, and it was a little plastic cap. The odd thing was, it had been thrown horizontally to land in between my feet. It hadn't fallen vertically from above, and there was nothing in front of me other than a low table and a brick wall, but it had definitely been thrown from that direction. Before I knew what was happening, I was overcome with emotion and I was sobbing. It was the strangest thing how fast it all happened, and again I knew it was my friend. I've never had anything else happen to me before or since these two incidents, and I don't know what happens to us when we die, but I feel pretty confident that it's not the end. I'm fine if it is, and I've never been one to look for signs from beyond, but I can't explain what happened, and the only logical explanation seems to be that I did get a sign from my departed friend. Twice! I've kept the two objects, and although most people I've shared this with have been pretty dismissive, they remain the strangest, unexplained experiences of my 48 years to date. I hope my friend has found some peace that he couldn't find in life, and I feel honoured that he chose me to communicate with. Keep up the good work. Regards, Harry. Just to add, after typing out this email, I went to the bathroom to brush my teeth, and as I was doing so, I could suddenly smell the scent of patchouli oil really strong before it disappeared as quickly as it came. We have nothing like that in the bathroom as my partner and I are not keen on the smell. My friend, however, used to wear a lot of patchouli and I realised as I was sniffing to see where it was coming from that this was his smell. Weird, eh? Harry, thank you so much for sharing that. That was, that was really beautiful. I, I wanted to finish on that because we had such a harrowing story previously so I, I thought this was a nice note to finish on to know that you know, your friend is uh, able to hear and know you were, you were thinking about him. Mm. I think I find it surprising that Harry mentions the story, especially the one about the bullet and people being dismissive. And um, without casting aspersions or you know trying to make a point, we don't have people wandering around with bullets <laughs> chucked away. And a bullet belt is obviously something that's synonymous with some people in the in the punk scene who, who like to wear them, also in the metal scene as well. They they wear bullet belts. Um, these are not common things. Um, bullets are not something you come across even in antique shops in this country. They are they are not. I mean, obviously, if you run with the wrong crowds, then of course they're very easy to get hold of. But for the for the general person in the street, they're not at all. They're not easy to get hold of whatsoever. And shops have to have special licenses even to sell spent ones because they can obviously be used again. So for people to say, oh, well, you know, what that's, that could have been anything. Well, no, it's not. It's not a common thing. I think it's a lovely gesture. And, and um, I understand exactly where, where Harry's coming from. You know, I unfortunately have lost far too many friends to, to uh, suicide via drug addiction. So it, um, it is heartwarming that even so long you have such a connection with a friend who clearly meant a dear lot to you, regardless of the circumstances of his passing. And, um, and long may you continue to remember him, and I hope he continues to bring a smile to your face when you remember the scrapes that you go up to, because I know it certainly does when I think about some of the friends I've lost in the past, Harry, so I understand exactly where you're coming from, my friend. No, I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you again, Harry, for sharing that with us. And thank you to everyone who shared their stories. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Ghost Story, guys. Again, wonderful, wonderful listener stories. And if you have one you'd like to share on an upcoming show, send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. That is the best place to get a hold of us. Uh, Instagram, we're, we'll tell you about all this stuff in the C segment. But uh, if you're sending a story, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the place to go. So thank you again for everyone who shared with us. Now we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Listeners, before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and now Adam, the latest addition to the Ghost Story Guys family. Adam, who you, of course, know from the podcast Weekly Creep, co-hosted with Dulce. Adam is doing our YouTube editing for us. So if you ever wanted to watch me and Paul tell stories instead of just listening to us, Christ knows why you'd want to do that, but if you do... Head to our YouTube page. You'll find a link in the show notes. And usually every episode we have, well, going forward, we'll have anywhere from three to five of the stories will be available in video format. And we also have lots of shorts and uh, lots of fun stuff happening over at the Ghost Story Guys YouTube channel. And again, that's thanks to Adam Lynch from the Weekly Creep Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere fine podcasts live. And Joseph, 
is the host of The Cardinal Rule, which is a show about Arizona Cardinals football. That's American football. And you'll find that on YouTube. <laughs> and of course, thanks to you, my friend and co-host, the one, the only, the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Well, once we recover from the double excitement of two episodes to celebrate hitting 250 um, with two of my most popular guests, the marvellous Ruth Roper Wilde and uh, Mr. High Strangeness himself, Paul Sinclair, um, I'm undecided. <laughs> so <laughs> what comes next? Because I've got five in the can and I'm not sure which one I'm going to do. So it may be the mar- the return of the marvellous Incha Fitzpatrick talking about her new book, Chilling with Ghosts, for young adults. And we talk about death and grief and how you can write about such things for a for an age-specific audience. Or it might be a gentleman called Michael Cameron, who has been having experiences from above since he was a child, which are numerous and somewhat slightly disturbing. Okay. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters across all podcast platforms and social media outlets. Fabulous. I'm Largely the Truth on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. I'm not active on Twitter anymore. My account is still there, but I am not to be found. But you can find me on all those other places. And you can find my other podcast, Weird Together, a horror movie review show co-hosted by Joseph Camo. Everywhere fine podcasts live. On our latest episode, we review the brand new Lovecraftian horror film, Older Gods, which I quite liked. And there is a chance that on an upcoming episode of Talk Spooky, that may become relevant. So we won't say any more because it's, it's still in the planning phases. But yes, Weird Together is everywhere fine podcasts live. And again, I'm on Twitter, or pardon me, I'm on Threads, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can find the show itself on Facebook. We also have a group called The Ghost Story Guys. Finally have a group. And we're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. That's where you find us hanging out and hobnobbing with celebrities such as uh, SCA and Chrissy Teigen lately, apparently. You didn't tell me SCA had started following you. Uh, Not following us, but she posted one of our memes to her stories. I've got to be honest with you, Paul. I didn't know who it was. Well, you know, I mean, it's not like you're 10 years younger than I am, and I'm fully aware of exactly who she is. (laughs) you, you, You keep down with those kids, mate. Uh, what can I say? I am I am hip to the culture. Uh, no, so, I couldn't tell you what's yeah. number one in the UK right now, but I know who she is. Well, you are one up on me. She she but she is apparently a fan of a, one a, one of our memes at the very least. <laughs> well, that's something. Yes, but anyways, you can come be part of that great circus over on Instagram at Instagram.com/slash/the Ghost Story Guys. And before we go on to uh, to Patreon and Apple Podcasts, Paul, you were saying you had something weird happen last night. Yeah, so. I've been off work today, just being lazy. After house-sitting for three three weeks and looking after two dogs. I love them to bits, but it's been quite tiring. And I've come home to discover that our backyard has suddenly become um, Vietnam in 1973. So I'm expected to find a group of GIs in there at some point. It's become that overgrown. <laughs> um, or some rock apes. Who knows? Um, so anyway... Julie came home from work today and she said, oh, I can't believe you. What? What what do you mean? She said, why did you put the heating on full blast this morning? I said, I didn't. I hadn't turned the heat. Why would I turn the heating on? It was lovely and warm here last night. She said, well, I got up this morning. The heating was on full blast and it's a turn thing. So it's not a switch or anything. Can't catch it. Oh. 
and obviously it's always on not in the summer because you know even in sure. England we've not needed the it was awful as July <laughs> was um you know down to 11 degrees one particular day in July here in the summer high summer in England 11 degrees brilliant and so <laughs> um she said, what, what have you turned it on for? I said, I, I can categorically tell you I haven't done that. I didn't turn it on before I went to bed. I've not got up in the middle of the night and done it. And there's no way you can catch it if you go to the bathroom at night or anything. You physically have to go out of your way to turn it on. And it was on full blast. And I was like, completely. And she's like, oh, well, you must have done it sleepwalking. I've never slept walked in my life. Yeah, that's a weird thing to suddenly start doing. So who knows? Well, watch this space, folks. As we said at the top of the show, we could not do this without our patrons, and so thank you, thank you, thank you. We genuinely appreciate it. If you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, or head to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to GSG Premium. Again, we've seen a wonderful surge in signups over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone who signs up. If you sign up there too, forward us your confirmation, definitely via email, uh, and we will shout you out in the patron shoutouts at the top of the show. So thank you to everyone who signed up. And of course, you get bonus shows. We're retiring most of our physical rewards, but you get so many bonus shows, bonus conversations, live streams with me and Paul, um, lots of cool stuff. And again, that's all at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or on GSG Premium via Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you sign up at the $20 level and above, that puts you in an elite club that makes you part of. Ghost Force. <laughs> That's right. Patrons who support the show at the $20 level and above get thanked in this segment. Because now you see us. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Ethan Saragon. Amy Chamberlain. Brand wears a pink toot 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 Who told you? Carrie Lambertus. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Cheryl Baker. Crazy Mom. CT. Aaron White. Generic Bob. Hannah Brown. Hannah Siemens. Hillary Disassur. Jade Moores. Jason R. Slaughter, 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 Slaughter. JJ907. Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sharko. Jessica R. Linder. Joseph Como. Kimberly Hansen. Maddie Leatherman. Mara Noriega. Mark Semler. Merlin Hansen. Michael Carney. Nicola. Peter Conzero 8.5. Rebecca Brink. Renata Hawks. Robin Tien. Rockin' Ronnie. Rockin' Ronnie. Rockin' Ronnie shenanigans. Rose Manriquez. Samantha Ellis. Shannon Steyer. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Again, I don't, I, I don't know what the fuck's going on there, guys. It's, we've, I don't think we've ever recorded this long. We're creeping up on five hours, so we're a little punchy. You, know, you just got to roll with us here. If you're still listening at this point in the show, you really like the show, so I'm sure you're fine with it. But all the same, you know, what the hell. <laughs> I'm very sweaty. It's very sweaty in this room, Paul. I, I, I had to close the door because a cat would come in and make noise. So I, I just, I, I am, you, you'll see on the video, I'm very dewy. It's, it's, it's not great. Hmm. But uh, anyways, 
Again, thank you so, so much to our members of Ghost Force. Thank you to all our patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Again, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. But Ghost Force, you guys are nuts, and we love you for it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to have your name read out in that increasingly bizarre roll call, you can sign up at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. <laughs> and I'd just like to say thank you to the guys at Mission Spooky for sending me a lovely set of cryptid fridge magnets that arrived this week in the post. So thank you very much. Oh, that's very cool. Lovely. I've had some lovely things through the post. I've got an amazing Sasquatch t-shirt from a guy in Sheffield who designs cryptid t-shirts. Uh, so it's a, a chap called Dav, and his company's called Cryptid Tees, and you can find him on Instagram, though I'll be sharing a post when I can be asked to get round to it on Insta- <laughs> on uh, on both mine and Mysteries and Monsters Instagram, because it's a beautiful ice blue colour as well. Fabulous. You should check his range out. He's got all kinds of wonderful stuff, from Mothman to loads of Bigfoot stuff to spooky things, and also... Uh, a wide variety of wonderful creatures, Wendigos and Mothman and all kinds of wonderful creatures. So check his work out because he's really good and he's he's only just started doing it. So uh, all power to him and uh, check him out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm actually really surprised he just started because I've seen some of his stuff. It's really great shit. Don't forget that Paul and I will have a table at Paramete in Rugby the first weekend in September. That will be the first time Paul and I ever meet in person. So you can become, be part of that magic and see all the weirdness and awkwardness that results and again, that's at uh, Paramit in Rugby. You'll find all the details linked in the show notes. Be like Fred and Ginger. If you say, let's dance across this bitch, I will dance with you. Good. All right. Oh, that's going to be a whole thing. I do, it's going to be weird, folks. I do like dancing. I'm not good at it, but it's never stopped me from doing anything in my it's life. It's never been a barrier for me either. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. Again, that's ghoststoryguys.com. You'll also find full show notes there for every episode. If you do pick up some merch, make sure to send us a picture. We would love to display it on our socials. And when you do buy something, you will get a personalized thank you video from me. Uh, again, it might be a little bit uh, late in coming because that's just how I work, but you will get it, and we are deeply, deeply appreciative. Shout out to our composer, Jerry Smith. Jerry is a musician and film journalist from Central California. His latest project, Street Witch, is on streaming platforms everywhere, and if you've listened to the most recent episode of Talk Spooky, you will have heard his latest single, Sexting, which is, again, on streaming platforms everywhere. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the darkness we go. can't prove anything <laughs> let's see what Who the keyboard shows <laughs> get me the luminol give her some protective eyewear wow <laughs> oh, it's like light bright <laughs> just spells out sin <laughs> and obviously he'd always he always kept his cigarette in his mouth because he'd he'd got a streak of yellow Oh, in no. his grey hair, you know what I mean, like a like a shit Billy Idol. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, in the midnight hour, I cry no, no, no. <laughs> Except I, my ego demands that they can also hear my voice, so it's probably going to sound like the basement monster combined with, I don't know, Christian Bale and Dark Knight. <laughs> I'm Bigfoot. Swear to me. <laughs> what uh, what time are you presenting for Paramit? I don't know yet. Oh, you don't know? Okay. Yeah. I got a weird message the other day saying they might be changing the running orders. So I don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they're, they're well, having I'm to make way for all our, our many fans who are going to be coming to see us <laughs> exclusively. and <laughs> Members of my family. That too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The only people I'm related to not coming are the dogs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, I'm not bothered. As long as there's one night where I can relax and have a drink, I'm not bothered. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I, I, by, by relax and have a drink, get you blotto on Saturday. Yep. Message received. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> hey, I'm not bringing all this Clamato juice for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably the most disgusting thing I'll have, have come close to my mouth this year, other than when Julie bought me a mango-flavoured Magnum the other week. Okay, so when I think Magnum, I think condom. I'm assuming that's not what you mean, so please expand. <laughs> so here in the UK, Magnum is like a premium chocolate ice cream right, that's okay. marketed to active women. Okay. And uh, the latest one they've done, it's, obviously it's, it's, a, I don't know, it's, I don't know, some kind of... Uh, advertising bullshit they've got like a nighttime one and a daytime it's a fucking ice cream doesn't matter what day, time of day you eat it right eating it at night does not make it sexy eating it in the day does not make it fun if you enjoy eating ice cream it's fun whenever you eat it are we still talking about ice cream I don't know this... <laughs> yes 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 we are okay um, and, and it's chocolate and mango and it was it, oh I gave up after, after I'd had a, about a third of it and I said I can't eat this this is Probably the worst confectionery I've ever eaten. And I've eaten a Twinkie. And let me tell you, I've never been more disappointed with anything in my life. The, the Twinkie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Twinkies are bad. I might as well have just poured a bag of sugar in my face. I, you probably had more of a respect for yourself, honestly. At least it's, it's kind of an interesting story. All those snack foods are bad. Snowballs, Twinkies, wagon wheels, they're all shit. They all look much better than they are. I, my mum used to buy us wagon wheels all the time because they would go on sale quite a bit. Just <laughs> terrible dog shit. You can really hurt somebody with a frozen one, though. I, be, I, be, I think you could do it without if it wasn't frozen. I have no list, by the way. What's up? There's no list on my script. Oh. Ah, that's because I pasted it into the wrong document. <laughs> Shannon. Nope, that's my voice. That, that's no good. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Come back to me. Uh, I got a, um, a broken character. I, I got to do this method style. Just like my buddy, Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, look, I am playing an Italian. Can you tell me? One of my favorite songs is called Jared Leto Upside Down in a Ditch on Fire. 